the Seattle Opera Podcast. Hi, opera fans. This is Jonathan Dean. Looking forward to seeing many of you at our pre-show talks for the revolution of Steve Jobs. Thanks for listening to this podcast, and please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you like to listen that helps people find this show. Tech week for this opera is just about to begin, and in today's podcast, we'll hear from our director, Kevin Newberry, and our baritone star, John Moore, who returns to Seattle Opera in the role of Steve Jobs. But before we join those guys, here's a little insight into the creation of the libretto. Mark Campbell is probably America's leading opera librettist. He had five new operas premiered in 2017 alone. In 2016, Seattle Opera gave Mark's beautiful opera As One, which he wrote with Laura Kaminsky and Kimberly Reed. You can hear that opera in Portland in March. Mark was here in Seattle last week. He dashed off just before it started snowing to go to Los Angeles so he could be there when the fantastic recording of The Revolution of Steve Jobs won its Grammy Award on Sunday. And while he was in Seattle, he shared with us this amazing story about how he achieved some authenticity when creating fictional opera characters out of people who actually lived and breathed. I did want to talk about how important Kobunshina Aragawa is in the opera. Steve Jobs had a spiritual mentor um, most of his whole life, Kobunshina Aragawa. And when I read that, that was a really helpful way to um, into the story. And so Kobun, um, we learn early on, has died, and he helps lead Steve through his memories. But there was an interesting story with Kobunshina Aragawa. He was a Soto Zen Buddhist teacher. And my friend Kelly Rourke, who happens to have an opera here, Odyssey, she's a librettist, but she's also a Buddhist teacher. So I said, would you mind looking at the libretto to make sure that I did not write this guy incorrectly, who I never met? And you couldn't find information about him then. It was really difficult. Um, and she, she said, well, I would, except this is not the kind of Buddhism I practice. She said, but there's a temple in Brooklyn. Why don't you email them? So I emailed them. I had to do one of those things where you fill out a form. Like, hi, I'm an opera librettist, um, and I'm looking for information about Kobunshino Aragawa, and um, do you know anything about him? And I thought they were going to be opera librettists. What the, well, they wouldn't say, what the hell is this? That's a Zen Buddhist, not very <laughs> Buddhist. But I got an answer with 20, within 20 minutes from this woman that said, um, yes, um, our, our main teacher, Tia Strozer, wants to talk to you. And so then I got an email from this woman, Tia Strozer, who runs, who is the head teacher at this Soto Zen temple in Brooklyn, where I took some meditation classes, my first ones. And um, she said, well, it, the letter was great, because it started off saying, first of all, um, I was a composition major at University of Southern California, so you don't need to explain what a librettist is. Um, <laughs> and, because my email to her was like, oh, yeah, I'm writing this opera. I'm really stupid, you know, that sort of thing. And, um, and then she said, uh, I studied with Coben for 15 years. I knew the man very well. And she said, and in my own way, I dated Steve Jobs. And uh, I know I'm still trying to figure out in my, what in my own way means. Um, Staring at each other in meditation. Yeah, well, I think there was more to it than that. But um, um, so I went out there and met her, and I had her read the libretto. And I can tell you precisely one change she made. Um, 
And, and she, she, she read it and she said, you really got Steve, which made me very happy. Like, but then she said, when it comes to Kobenshina Aragawa, she showed me a few phrases that he would never have said. And one of them is um, the line, you said so many foolish things. Um, originally the line was, you said so many stupid things. And I went to this teacher and I said, stupid always bothered me too. And she goes, we don't use those words. And I said, but what about foolish? And she said, well, we're all foolish. So yes, foolish is a word that he would use. And it was such a great experience to meet this woman. And she was so helpful. And yeah. Thanks, Mark Campbell, for getting it right and for writing a libretto which unleashed the musical genius of Mason Bates and which serves as a canvas for all the brilliant and talented artists who are working on this opera. We'll hear now from two such guys, our director, Kevin Newberry, and John Moore, who sings the role of Steve Jobs at every performance. Kevin made his Seattle Opera debut a couple years back with Mary Stewart, a beautiful and brilliant production of an old opera which turned out to be extraordinarily timely. He's been with the revolution of Steve Jobs since the very beginning, and one of the reasons this opera works so well is Kevin has an amazing talent for getting all the pieces to come together and work as a powerful whole. And John Moore first dazzled us here at Seattle Opera as the Count in The Marriage of Figaro back in 2016. Every performance was different, and every time he came on stage, it was alive and tingling. He worked the same magic the next year as Papageno and then as Figaro in The Barber of Seville, and we're very excited that he's taking on the wonderfully complicated role of Steve Jobs. Here is what Kevin and John had to say about their work so far on this opera. <laughs> Hi, John. How are you? <laughs> Hi, Kevin. I'm curious, John. So I take a lot of Ubers and Lyfts, of course, here in Seattle, and... Everyone always asks me what I'm doing in town, and I say that I'm directing an opera about Steve Jobs, and and nine times out of ten, they say, well, ten times out of ten, 100% of the time, everyone's so excited about it and thinks it sounds so cool. The usual response is, oh, man, there's an opera about Steve Jobs? That's cool. What's it like? And then nine times out of ten, they'll ask me, so what's it about? Mm. Mm. What is your show about Steve Jobs about? Mm. So how would you answer that question in the kind of elevator, pi elevator pitch way in an Uber or to someone on the, you know, on the street that, that says, what, what's your show about? I would tell them the opera is about a man that did something great that had all of the same pitfalls and joys uh, and whatever exists in between those emotions that I have and you have. There's a hook because uh, it doesn't take many people long to find some way in which the name of Steve Jobs has made an impact on their life. Mm -hmm. or, or it's full of great music. And the other thing I do mention, I'm like, and if you've never been to an opera or you're not sure about new opera, I'm like, it's 90 minutes. It's visually appealing. There's all the elements that make it sort of an in-our-time piece and of art. It feels art. more like a Broadway show in so many ways, too, in the way that it moves and and covering 20 scenes in 90 minutes and jumping around decades, and it's so, you know, mm. hopefully visually arresting and emotionally arresting, and I think it's actually the ideal first opera, maybe than any other piece I've ever done. It's so I'm, I'm curious, Kevin, how you take, how do you take a story like Steve Jobs and translate it 
to a stage as a new work, but also as more of a fictional take on the facts. It's funny. I've always found it compelling to think about what we don't know about somebody. I've directed a lot of work about historical figures from Elizabeth I to Galileo, uh, Walt Disney, and here we are doing Steve Jobs. And and I find what Mark and Mason, uh, the composer Mason Bates and the librettist Mark Campbell, they've done something really cool by juxtaposing the kind of iconic, mythic, more phantasmagoric aspects of his life. But then the scenes between characters, we don't really know what they actually said to each other behind closed doors. So what I find so fun about this process is how we can figure out uh, an approach to your relationship with Laureen or your relationship with Wozniak. And that is kind of based on our, our own experiences. I and mean, aren't you kind of finding that in the room that it feels very personal and less like we're trying to do an impersonation of these characters. There, the, there is the element of technology right. with the screens. We get a sense of you know the aesthetic of an office and the aesthetic of the garage. Right. But for the most part, you've left it wide open to fill with that which you just uh, articulated, which is that personal story that I think draws most people, uh, if not all people, to the theater at all which right. is which is to be reminded of who they are and the thing about okay the thing about steve jobs that is so fascinating to me is that he was a true polymath a true genius i love walter isaacson's books i've read all of them i just read the leonardo da vinci i've read the einstein of course the steve jobs and so much of what walter isaacson is writing about is the nature of genius so someone that understands the world better than anyone around them that makes connections across disciplines and the only way to truly be a genius and to achieve the kinds of things that he did you have to see things in a completely holistic way where the, the serendipity of noticing everything and drawing connections as i'm looking at my phone on the table which is a camera and a sony walkman and a phone and the internet and my dating life and all of my creative ideas and photos some of which I want you to see and some of which I don't. Like Everything is on my phone, right? Who I am. And he knew what that was and what we wanted before we did. Mm -hmm. So how did someone like that understand the world? That's what I find so fascinating about this piece. And, and every day we come into rehearsal, I'm less interested, especially on the third iteration, in the historical verisimilitude of it. The, I've seen all the movies and read all the books, and, and the first time around especially, but... Now I just kind of come in and it's as much about, hey, John, what podcast did you hear on the way to work today? What are you thinking about? The way that uh, the opera really traverses space and time I think is really fascinating. So we jumping around from year to year and it tells kind of the whole story of, of Steve's life. So, so how are you finding jumping around between scenes? How, how are you connecting it as we're starting to run the whole thing straight through? You want to make it obvious that we are moving from one space to another, but that there's a fluidity to that that isn't sort of corny. I find that uh, a, a, a particular challenge, and it's also valuable to understand that for some of the people uh, watching, stepping into the 70s and into the 80s will bring back a lot of memories that I was not aware of. Right. I, in the early 80s, I was a small child. I had no sense of what Apple was, and certainly in the 70s, I wasn't around. So, you know, it's when you put on a costume for like an 18th century or 19th century opera, it's so out of the ordinary that you can sort of just jump straight in. But 
but those were those were transformative times in people's lives that they actually experienced them you know my mom and dad or 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 my brothers even uh and so much change in the 70s especially and we're all so aware of it it's easy to say we've come a long way uh, from traviata yeah but but um we've come i mean just as a as a matter of human experience the leaps that we took obviously because of people like steve jobs and steve wozniak um the leaps that we've made are profound and so in moving from scene to scene backwards and forwards in time i can't wait to see how some of those projections articulate that very thing we have to make sure we find some time during tech for you to turn around and see what's surrounding you i think one of the things that's so cool about ben Pierce's video design is that we see like the circuitry of of your brain or of a computer but it reflects the actual year so as we go into 1973 it's the kind of circuitry that you would have been playing with with Waz as you got ready to go work for Atari, mm. right? So it feels a, a very old school feeling to it. And then when we get into the more uh, contemporary, you know, 2000s, 2007 iPhone launch, we see the more like an astrological version of it in a way. Like we mm. see the, the beautiful, pristine architecture of these systems that you're imagining and creating. Aesthetic was something that was paramount for Steve Jobs as far as products were concerned. And I can only imagine how much of the frustration in his life was realizing that his concept of where we needed to be was his was always 10 years beyond where he was at. Yeah. Steve Jobs was thinking about the material world, Mm. you know, access to information, the ability to carry around the world's library of music. And then he had the wherewithal to realize that at the base level, the most important thing is how that is packaged. Mm-hmm. I think he always realized that the technology wasn't quite there yet, but we can still give people a beautiful experience of what is available right now. Mm-hmm. I do think that that's something that this opera speaks to in almost all facets with the content of the uh, characters on stage, the content of the music, and ultimately the experience people take away, I think is one that's wrapped up, have your opinion, right? you know, but I think on the whole, it's it'll it'll be how we feel about, I think actually 10 years from now, Mason Bates' work will look like the initial iPod. Yeah. Because there are so many elements of brilliance, and Mark Campbell has this wonderful way of telling us tidbits of facts in a way that makes them stick. And this has been such a huge popular success. And one of the, the most popular operas I've ever directed. Audiences go crazy for it. It was, the I think, the biggest seller that Santa Fe's ever had. And they even added a performance that also sold out. It went really well at IU. Of course, we're going to San Francisco after this. And I'm especially ex- excited about doing it here in Seattle and in San Francisco in the actual heart of these tech communities. And Because I think that there's... Our, our whole approach to it was really to try to create a production that mirrored the holistic worldview of Apple's products, that, that form and function and design are completely integrated. So I, I love when people leave this production and they've laughed and they've cried and it's very sexy. I think it's surprising when every time I do it just how, how sexy it is, especially with this cast. You guys are so good together. How funny it is how deeply moving it is in the course of 90 minutes. And and I always hope on opening night that the audience doesn't know what was video, what was lighting, where where did the sound actually, when was it coming from the pit and when was it from the computer and technology and the, 
and um, so scenery and choreography and technology all kind of m merge together to create one whole and and a l that sense of wonder that we all feel when we're looking at our little powerful black mirrors in our pocket of how did they do that they're also going to say how did you do it I and mean, how are you preparing to do 90 minutes straight through never leaving the stage does it compare to anything else that you've done the only thing that would even come close I, when I did Missy Mazzoli's Breaking the Waves, right. the second iteration in New York, there there wasn't a there wasn't a curtain. And my character was was paralyzed, and I stayed on stage through the intermission. So I, I get oh, I paralyzed. I totally forgot about that. Something like forty five minutes, and then the intermission was twenty five, and then for another hour after that, I, I laid literally utterly motionless the entire time on like a wooden plank. That's and, a lot to ask. Well, I mean, and it's it's funny. It's a bit of a gimmick. In a way, it was a practical consideration, and we took it. But to your point about what is the challenge, to be honest, the on stage for 90 minutes is somewhat of a gimmick. Yeah. Um, it's not hard, mm -hmm. to be honest. What's the hardest thing? It's it's maybe it's those moments where you get something caught in your throat or you're dry, but it's really important that we don't lose focus of Steve Jobs. Yeah. People are like, what is it like to be on stage the whole time? I'm like, it sort of reminds me of a recital. I um I don't think it's a big deal, and actually I prefer it. Sure. Um, I you want get to keep that momentum. It's just yeah. build. I can't imagine being in an industry that changes every second, that require that is built on the concept that things should be quicker, that things should compute more quickly, and should and all those things should continually, uh, and that your battery life should last for days, and that you should never shut down, and that you should be able to continually be computing at all times. And this opera sorta does that. One way in which we can cope with how much our lives have been made better, certainly, mm -hmm. and easier and longer because of tool making, music has been this wonderful thing that sort of kept us sane. In the that midst of all the this. old cliche that music is either proof that God exists or compensation for the fact that she doesn't, right? Uh, wow. Well, it's awesome to have these these vehicles, I think, yeah. in a way for, for the, this is again, the, the power of storytelling. And I think this opera does that where we, we get to put a, a person that, that shed light on our current situation in a beautiful way with all his failings or lack of insight as far as his, how his, you know, actions affected other people. But I also think that he, this opera sheds light on the personal experience of that great man. I want people to think Steve Jobs was, as I think many people do realize, he was a guy that had loads of just unvarnished aspects of his character that, mm -hmm. that leapt out maybe at inopportune times. And we can all relate to that. But he was also somebody that found his true love, not only in his work life, but in his uh, personal life. He was someone that when, when it was obvious that he had made a, a mistake, on certain levels was willing to own up to it. He was someone that cared deeply about spirituality and how that played not yeah. only in his own life, but how that con those concepts of love and beauty were paramount human experiences that everyone should, if you're gonna have a phone, it shouldn't be a clumpy, nasty thing with a keyboard halfway that, that's unused most of the time. Like he gave us this thing that slides in and out of your life in a way that no tool in human history ever has. The three biggest evolutions in the history of human communication in our, since we were a sentient species you know, for 75,000 years, writing on cave walls and storytelling around the campfire and passing on stories, 
And the second is the printing press, right? And the technology we're experiencing now is like bringing a book into the jungle tens of thousands of oh. years ago and saying, here is a book. But um, literally being able to take these devices now, and, and this is, you know, I guess the other thing doing this in these tech towns, uh, at a deeper level, there's just, just thousands of people uh-huh. that I know my, I, I have a family member that my brother is, that he's in it. He goes to work every day just like all these other people have and puts his great skill to work to hopefully improve the state of whatever industry he happens to be in technology. But I think about this with Steve Jobs, this opera. I'm so happy we're doing a an opera based on a guy that hasn't been dead that long. Right. Um, that characters in this opera are still active and more so now than ever. Um, Laureen certainly and, and, mm-hmm. and, and trying to make the world a better place and Steve Wozniak trying to make the world a better place not to mention all the people that, that got and, and, and not to mention Steve's children who yeah. and we'll Lisa see just what wrote they her do. book this year which I mean, is a big hit right and, and, and so it's, it's, it's exciting to think that you know people that are currently alive and that might be interested in the art form certainly or, or theater generally will come and they'll be like wow it's not only is this a relevant topic but it's beautiful what would steve jobs do if he was running an opera company i would like to think that he would be prioritizing new music and interesting ventures telling contemporary stories about what it means to be alive right now where we're heading commissioning pieces that do use technology he would be trying to drag it kicking and screaming into the 21st century like we are you you nailed it i think that one of the problems in the genre we need to get opera out of the museum model Uh we need to root it firmly in the now you will run into the and, and steve jobs did too you'll run into the problem of money part of the problem that he would figure out would be how do you make it less expensive how do you make the storytelling more provocative? I think a lot of people would be out, and I think that a whole lot of risks would be taken. I think that we would lose the sense of the success of an opera company is its ability to fill large venues. This is the thing I appreciate so much about you. How do you, as a director, knowing that you're not getting HD cameras on us and you don't have big screens showing up close uh, depictions of our face and our interactions, how do you develop an opera and direct an opera so that it translates to the person in the back row? And this gets to the point of amplification. It's as important that everybody feels like they can see every nuance that is happening in my facial expression as if they're standing or sitting right like you are here in front of my face. How do you, how do you prepare whether it's a new opera, which you do quite often, or, or something that's that's been existing in the canon for for hundreds of years, how do you how do you translate that? Yeah, it's a great question. I directing film and opera and theater, and I do a bit of everything. And I I think of all of it as storytelling. It's a really fascinating job when you think about it, right? That, that we my job is to come into a room and harness the energy of a group of people to then move a larger group of people of several thousand to laugh and cry on cue and tell the audience where to look and what they might might want to be thinking and feeling about and when you and Laureen fall in love and when do you when is the moment when you first get high on that LSD with Chris Ann? What moment does that kick in? 
very fortunate working on new opera so much. I get to work with incredible living writers and and the singers that want to do new opera just tend to be better actors and more voracious animals on stage. That's a generalization, but it's certainly, I think, a fair one. It's pretty rare for me to have a new opera where I have to do three hours of love duets and the tenor can't act and doesn't want to be there. That just doesn't happen in new opera, but it sure happens on the canonical pieces. If you're going to sing this giant tenor role in a big theater, the voice has to come first, and, and acting often comes second. And so with a piece like this, where I'm given a first-rate cast of actors and thinkers and singers and movers led by you, it makes my job easy. My job is to create an atmosphere where everyone is free to express who they are and what they're doing and what their choices are, and the best idea wins. My job is to recognize the best idea in the room. And my favorite opening night is when I lose track of what idea came from where. I truly believe that that is the, the art and craft of directing. Now, there are many ways to direct. There are, there are just as many visionary uh, directors whose work I love and admire who have the whole thing in their head coming into the room. And that can be fun, too, sometimes. And there's the totalitarian types that it's their way or the, or the highway. And I just like to be surprised. I want to be surprised and inspired every day. And I love that feeling of coming to work to see what we're going to discover when it isn't snowing and we're able to come to work. And <laughs> I'm really lucky that I get to create that atmosphere. I get to choose who I want to work with largely, especially on new operas. I'm always involved in casting on new pieces. I choose my design team. And I choose the writers that I want to work with and largely the subject matters I want to tell. And so coming into a room full of smart, talented people to try to create the best ideas. If we make good choices that are true and honest, and you can see the conductor, amplification helps. I think having microphones and Steve Jobs is great because you can do that quiet pianissimo moment, even facing upstage as you're making out with Laureen, and we're going to hear it in the back of the theater. So I'm a big fan of that. I think that's really helpful. But if it's true in the room, it's going to be true in the back row. I really believe that. The audience is going to feel that because you're so connected to each other and that crazy thing that happens, that energy that spreads across a room in live performance. I think you hit on everything that excites me about what, back and even back to what would Steve Jobs do if he was running an opera company. Yeah. Peter Gale, but the Met is on to something. The first thing you see when you go into like the office space at the Met now is a bank of television screens and a bunch of knobs and you know we're at the met like literally the gold standard i mean literally in the arts like 300 million dollars a year budget you know and what have they done well they they ran technology through mm -hmm. the house you know they started with the surtitles on the back of the seat and then it became hd and my my hope because it's not as big of an expense for an opera company of say like seattle stature to hire young kids that know how to make movies on their iPhones. You know, right now there's a push in social media, like you got the Instagram account, and like maybe the artist will take over Instagram for a day and we'll do a podcast. I think we're not far from opera companies having subscriptions to video live broadcasting. As we transition from the classic model of what is opera and what do you expect at the opera house to 
what is the world? I mean, if you take opera at its sort of definition, it isn't defined as people singing loudly so you can hear them in the back of a 3,000-seat auditorium over a 120-piece orchestra. The definition of opera, and I guess for me, but I think generally, is that you've taken all of the elements of what we consider great art and put them on stage to tell a story. It's and the best of all possible art forms when it comes together, when everything is... But it's hard to do. Oh, you know, opera has a branding problem. That's Absolutely. what Steve Jobs would do if he was running a company. <laughs> yeah. And opera, often people have an idea based on one thing they saw, some horrific traviata on a rented set at some company that wasn't directed and the singers weren't very interesting and it was just people singing loud in front of you know, paper mache wing and drop scenery. So all it takes is that one performance to associate negative connotations to opera and yeah. and we have to sort of save it from that like we have to yeah. rebrand it in a way that that really tells people what it is and what it can be and i think some people rebrand themselves in this outrageous way and i think opera has that opportunity and it's obvious with people like mason bates and, and mark campbell missy mazzoli for sure royce vavrick the people that are writing new opera matt o'quine i just think of like they're, Greg they're, Spears it, and my right? It's it's too, crazy so. to think. Kevin puts to think of the people. So many of them, I right? Know. It's the, a golden the, age of I, new music, right? I mean, I mean, to think that Jake Hagee is sort of a father of new music is hilarious because what is he like fifty or mm -hmm. fifty five? Like he's not even that old. And look yeah. at Dead Man Walkins killing it. Yeah. And and how are they? Well, I mean, they're telling contemporary stories in an interesting way. And my personal statement is, I'm really super happy that. Luciano Pavarotti and, and Placido Domingo and uh, all of these great, great artists set opera up in a way that it's still relevant, right? But like, I really, really want the art form to, to reinvent itself so that when you come to an opera, you're not just expecting the duet or the aria that you've always, like the one reason people will go to the Barber of Seville, mm -hmm. the one reason is to hear Largo Alf Octodum. Well, that's sort of unfortunate, <laughs> I mean, in a way, because it's a brilliant opera, but I want people to not have any idea what they're in for. And I think opera has that opportunity because of the way in which it invites every genre in. We shouldn't think, let's exclude videography, let's exclude audio. We should think, how can we take those two art forms and, and blow this genre up? Absolutely. And, and, and it's happening. And I it think, is happening. You know, when people come and they are aren't sure if they're hearing like you said they're not sure if they're hearing electronic music or orchestra well welcome to everyday life yeah and that is beautiful you're in it you're literally in the midst of what is i think genre bending i don't miss the rotary phone and you know sort of wrapping yourself up in a long core during the course of a conversation just the other day on Facebook, I saw people, do you use electronic scores, PDFs on your iPad, or do you still get the actual score? And there was this whole comment thread of, I really just need the tactile experience of the book. And I'm like, that's the exact same argument of someone saying, I really miss wrapping my fingers in the cord on the rotary phone. I miss the feel of sticking my finger in that hole and turning that three and then sticking it back and turning that eight and then sticking it back and then turning <laughs> right. that nine. Man, and just the, the feel, the, the vibration of the actual unit and like that, that, that sort of some parts were coiled and some parts had been pulled apart so much now that they like, were loose. Siri, call mom. Right? I mean, it's like this is what's happened to opera is that people are like, no, 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 I want the rotary phone back because that was the experience I remember. And, and all we're saying, 
we want to be at the forefront of not only honoring the tradition, the technique of what it is to be an operatic vocalist, we also want to be, how can we keep storytelling at the, say, the level of the iPhone? Where every every year, and it's happening, every single year, there's an update to the operatic canon. And, you know, know, Matt O'Quine was all over the newspapers. He still is, but certainly a couple years ago was just like, boom, you know, the new Leonard Bernstein. And now we've got Mason Bates just winning this Grammy for this opera. And it's just, it's, it's a way in which culture can say, man, I think this change is okay. The, this is going to sell really well, too. The appetite for new opera is, is huge. And I just feel so honored to be a part of making this new work. For the most part, I want to be part of defining the future yeah. of opera, not redefining its past. Well, nice talking to you, John, about the show. You know, we've been talking about it all day the last couple of weeks, but uh, I can't wait to go down and get on stage right now and get that mic on. Yeah, no doubt. It's going to be interesting to, I, I don't know. The only thing I was thinking about mics is, do I get an in-ear monitor? Because that would really make me feel like a rock star. You're going to feel like a rock star. When you make that first <laughs> entrance, the audience goes crazy for you with that electronic music thing. Oh. And you come down in that turtleneck, you just wait. You're going to feel like Beyonce. Cool. Thanks, Kevin Newberry and John Moore. We look forward to seeing your work when The Revolution of Steve Jobs opens on February 23rd. We've got more podcasts coming up about this opera, so be sure to subscribe and rate and review us. The Seattle Opera Podcast is a co-production of Seattle Opera and King FM. Find more episodes at your favorite podcast provider or at seattleopera.org or king.org. This is Jonathan Dean.